Hello everybody and welcome to The, the History Sisters! In this podcast we talk about well-known yet unknown speeches, their presenters and the historical context. Let's get started! So today I am going to talk about the Apology of Socrates that was actually written down by Plato but was obviously held by Socrates. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. It's a very interesting topic in my opinion. Let's get into it. Hello everybody, it's Katie here for your weekly disclaimer. Just a quick reminder that this is all just our opinion. We don't intend to insult anyone. If we did, we are very sorry. Please tell us via our Instagram at History Sisters Pod or our email, thehistorysisterspod at gmail.com, how we insulted you and what we can do to improve our podcast. If you have any other things that you want to tell us, go head over to email or Instagram and tell us. We always love reading your guys' ideas or your feedback. So yeah, um, in this episode we mention uh, the White Rose. It was a opposition movement in Nazi Germany. If you want to know more about it, let us know and then maybe we can do an episode on that one. So yeah, without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. So, the speech apology of Socrates is um, actually written down by Plato, as I already said, so it's not written down by Socrates himself. And Plato is one of his greatest admirers and friends who was present during the questioning. What questioning? Um, the questioning of, well, there he's charged for his odd practices. I'm going to tell you later the exact thing why he's charged for, which seems a little bit made up so that they have a reason to put him in jail, which was their actual intention. He didn't end up in jail, but we're going to get to that later. Um, the speech or the apology, yeah, the speech, the written down version of the apology got um, published shortly after Socrates' death. Um, and it is really unclear, un unclear, unclear what Plato's aim was with his written down version. Um, it could either to just perfectly replicate what Socrates said, or to make him seem like a fully got good person, since he was a, one of his biggest admirers. Alright, so yeah. we don't really know if the speech was delivered that way by Socrates himself, or whether Plato kind of added stuff or changed things. Exactly, we don't know like in detail, but because of other recordings of the questioning that show a lot of um, similarities, um, especially in the detailed section, we know that, or we can be sure that his written down version doesn't differ from the truth immensely, just mm -hmm. maybe a little bit in few points. Also, it is important to note that apology here is not meant as in our modern um, meaning so it's not to apologize for doing something but it is rather yeah it is rather to under to be understand as in the greek apollo apologia which translates as defense or speech of defense okay so before we go into what the he tried to defend himself for i'm going to tell you a little bit about socrates um so socrates was born in 469 before christ or estimated before 460 and I'm before Christ um, and he lived in the time of the end of the golden age of Athenian civilization so um, he lived in a very rough age for um, Athenians and he lived in like a age of 
different stages and everything um, like turning around and he had a huge impact on the Yauth. Um, at this time one of them would be Plato who eventually wrote down the speech. Socrates himself never recorded his thoughts. He never did. It was always his friends or his admirers or his students kind of who um, recorded his thoughts. So he never wrote anything down? No. It was always other people? Exactly. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, he lived a very simple life and renounced wealth and political ambitions. He really just wanted to let his mind be his greatest possession. Um, he preferred to mingle with the crowds and talk to everyone he could rather than try and be like, I'm better than you all, I know what I'm talking about. Um, and he served in some battles and was distinguished by fortitude and bravery, but he didn't like it to okay. be in a battle, but he just kind of had to because his dad was and because he was a man and, yeah. you know, men had to fight back then. Um, his life ended in 399 before Christ when he got sentenced to death by a jury of around 500 Athenians. So, plot twist, he doesn't end up in jail, he ends up getting sentenced to death. And just because he was different and, I mean, he kind of changed the way how people thought of a lot of things and isn't it that he mainly like changed this by just thought experiment yeah exactly okay. just because he um he supported people in thinking not the way that the um like country wanted them thinking. yeah exactly okay. um before we go on to what the speech is actually about i'm going to tell you a little bit about plato Plato is the author of Apology and was one of Socrates' biggest admirers, as I already said. Um, most of the things that we know about Socrates, we actually know through Plato's dialogues. They are divided into three categories, early, middle and late uh, dialogues. And the middle and late dialogues, you can see how Plato started to form his own way of thinking. And Socrates becomes more and more just the figure of his own speech, so he the middle and the uh, later dialogues are very, very um, distinguished by his like way of thinking. Okay. Um, so but the early ones are pretty much just a replica of what Socrates said, and the apology is in the early ones. Okay. I so regarding these dialogues by Plato, I read somewhere that basically in like the early ones, um, it's like Socrates speaking as this historical figure and because Socrates was this really looked up to authority on just philosophy in the other two dialogue books or chapters or whatever you want to call them it's like Socrates is not the historic Socrates but kind of like this um, fictive character of reason exactly Plato was born into a very wealthy family and was actually supposed to become a political leader, but inspired by his mentor, he decided to take on teaching and philosophical inquiry himself and founded the academy, which lasted 912 years in total. It was one of the most prominent academies um, there was at that time, and it's supposed to be, or it's said to be, um, the foundation or the, like, kind of idol for the West Western university system. 
and one of the most prominent students was Aristotle. Now what the speech actually is about. Um, the speech is about Socrates' defense against the jury who in the end voted him into death penalty for his odd practices. Um, the exact reason that he's charged is for not recognizing the gods recognized by the state, inventing new deities and corrupting the youth of Athens. Um, Socrates in the speech explains that he considers it's his duty to question supposed wise men and expose their false wisdom as ignorance. Um, and he claims that without him, the state will likely drift into a deep sleep while he is trying to awaken it into a productive and virtuous being. Okay. So he, he is really, really not polite in his speech. Like, he, he, he says also in the beginning, he doesn't know how to speak like the polite jury kind of talk. Um, he's just going to talk to them as he will talk to everybody because he thinks that they are just people which they are. So um, at some points I was like, whoa, back down a little, like <laughs> chill. Like you're not doing yourself any favors? Really not. <laughs> and one person in particular, he um, kind of attacks throughout the speech is Meletus, who is the chief accuser of Socrates and the reason why he's actually in front of the jury. Um, the jury sentenced him to death and Socrates says that he's not scared of it and that the jury men hurt themselves more than Socrates because they didn't listen to him. Um, what is also important to say maybe is that in the questioning, three of Socrates' students or um, companions actually spoke against him oh. uh, because they got pressured by their parents or they got pressured because of peer pressure or politic political pressure or well, probably just because they feared that if they speak in his favor they're gonna have the same yeah just like end up in jail or even be killed exactly um so the thing that you're gonna hear in a second is the third part of the speech which is actually where he reacts to getting the death sentence and um yeah in the end he says something that i kind of remember that like we both go out now you in that direction and i in that direction you to live i to die and who like has the greater way to come no one knows uh, only the only god knows or something like that um which i thought was such a powerful ending that i in the end decided to choose this part and not the second part which i was also contemplating the second part is him proposing a sentence for himself and he jokingly proposes to get him like fine dining in one of the biggest greek I don't want to say restaurant because it wasn't a restaurant, yeah. but I don't know how to yeah. add, describe it. And the first part is basically just him explaining his situation and what he did or didn't do. Yeah, the whole speech is delivered in Greek and also written down in Greek and got translated later on by a group of Harvard University stu students, at least the version that I'm reading out. And you will find the first and second part in an extra episode. We will upload one week after this one, so make sure to check that out if you're interested in it. And yeah. if you don't want to miss it or any future episodes, don't forget to subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Exactly. Uh, so we talked a lot. Now let's get into the speech itself. And I have another thing to say to them. You think that I was convicted through deficiency of words. I mean that if I had thought fit to leave nothing undone, nothing unsaid, I might have gained an acquittal. Not so. The deficiency which led to my conviction was not of words, 
certainly not. But I had not the boldness or impudence or inclination to address you as you would have liked me to address you, weeping and wailing and lamenting. Socrates comments on his sentence. Not much time will be gained, O Athenians, in return for the evil name which you will get from the detractors of the city, who will say that you killed Socrates, a sophist man. For they will call me wise, even although I am not sophos, when they want to reapproach you. If you had waited a little while, your desire would have been fulfilled in the course of nature. For I am far advanced in years, as you may perceive, and not far from death. I am speaking now only to those of you who have condemned me to death, and saying and doing many things which you have been accustomed to hear from others, and which, as I say, are unworthy for me. But I thought that I ought not do anything common or mean in the hour of danger, nor do I now repent of the manner of my defense, and I would rather die having spoken after my manner than speak in your manner and live. For neither in a war nor yet at law ought any man to use every way of escaping death. For often in battle there is no doubt that if a man will throw away his arms and fall on his knees before his pursuers, he may escape death. And in other dangers there are other ways of escaping death, if a man is willing to say and do anything. The difficulty, my friends, is not in avoiding death, but in avoiding unrighteousness for that runs faster than death. I am old and move slowly, and the slower runner has overtaken me, and my accusers are keen and quick, and the faster runner, who is unrighteousness, has overtaken them. And now I depart hence condemned by you to suffer the penalty of death, and they too go their ways condemned by the truth, to suffer the penalty of villainy and wrong. And I must abide by my award, let them abide by theirs." I suppose that these things may be regarded as fated, and I think that they are well. And now, O men who have condemned me, I want to prophesy to you. For I am about to die, and that is the hour in which men are gifted with prophetic power. And I prophesy to you, who are my murderers, that I immediately after my death punishment, far heavier than who have inflicted on me, will surely await you. Me you have killed because you wanted to escape the accuser and not to give an account of your lives. But that will not be as you suppose, far otherwise. For I say that there will be more accusers of you than there are now, accusers whom hitherto I have restrained, and as they are younger, they will be more severe with you, and you will be more offended at them. For if you think that by killing men you can avoid the accusers censoring your lives, you are mistaken." That is not a way of escape which is either possible or honorable. The easiest and noblest way is not to be crushing others, but to be improving yourselves. This is the prophecy which I utter. Before my departure, the judges who have condemned me. Friends who would have acquitted me, I would also like to talk with you about this thing which has happened while the magistrates are busy and before I go to the place at which I must die. Stay then a while, for we may as well talk with one another while there is time. You are my friends, and I should like to show you the meaning of this event which has happened to me. O oh, my judges, for you I may truly call judges, I should like to tell you of a wonderful circumstance.
In the past, the oracular art of the superhuman thing within me was in the habit of opposing me, each and every time, even about minor things, if I was going to do anything not correctly. But now that these things, as you can see, have happened to me, things that anyone would consider by general consensus to be the worst possible thing to happen to someone. The signal of the god has not opposed me, either as I was leaving my house and going out in the morning, or when I was coming up to this place of judgment, or as I was speaking. No, it has not opposed me about anything I was going to say. Though on other occasions, I say this because death is one of two things. Either it is a state of nothingness and other unconsciousness for the person who has died, or, according to the sayings, there is some kind of change that happens. A relocation for the soul from this place to another place. Now if you suppose that there is no consciousness, but a sleep like the sleep of someone who sees nothing even in a dream, death will be a wondrous gain. For if a person were to select the night in which he slept without seeing anything even in a dream, and if he were to compare with this the other days and nights of his life, and then were to tell us how many days and nights he had passed in the course of his life in a better and more pleasant way than this one, I think that any person, I will not say a private individual, but even the great king, will not find many such days or nights who compared with the others. Now if death is like this, I say that to die is a gain. For the sum total of time is then only a single night. But if death is the journey to another place, and if the sayings are true that all the dead are over there, then what good, O jurors, can be greater than this? If, when someone arrives in the world of Hades, he is freed from those who call themselves jurors here, and find the true judges, who are said to give judgment over there? Minos and Radamantos, and Ayakos and Triptolemos, and other demigods, who were righteous in their own life, that would not be a bad journey, now would it? To make contact with Ophias and Musaeus and Hesiod and Homer, who of you would not welcome such a great opportunity? Why, if these things are true, let me die again and again. I, too, would have a wondrous activity there. Once I make contact with Palamedes and with Ajax, the son of Telamon, and with other ancient men who have suffered death through an unjust judgment, and there will be no small pleasure, I think, in comparing my own experiences with theirs. Further, and this is the greatest thing of all, I will be able to continue questioning those who are over there, just as I questioned those who are over here, and investigating who among them is wise and who among them thinks that he is wise, but is not. Who would not welcome the great opportunity, O jurors, of being able to question the leader of the great Trojan expedition, or Odysseus, or Sisyphus, or one could mention countless other men, and women too? What unmitigated happiness would there be in having dialogues with them over there, and just being in their company and asking them questions? And I say it absolutely, those who are over there do not put someone to death for this, certainly not. I say that because those who are over there are happier than those who are over here. And they are already immortal for the rest of time, if in fact the sayings are true. But even you, O jurors, should have good hopes when you face death, and you should have in mind this one thing as true. 
that nothing bad can happen to a good person, either in life or when he comes to its completion. The events involving this person are not neglected by the gods, nor is it by chance that the events involving me have happened. Rather, this one thing is clear to me, that to be already dead and to be in a state where I am already released from events involving me was better for me. And it is for this reason that the signal in no way diverted me from my path. Further, it is for this reason that I am not at all angry with those who accused me or with those who condemned me. Granted, it was not with this in mind that they accused me and condemned me, since they thought they were doing me harm, and for this they deserve to be blamed. In any case, I ask them for only one thing. When my sons are grown up, I would ask you men to punish them and give them pain, as I have given you pain. If they seem to care about material things or the like instead of striving for merit, or if they seem to be something, but not at all that thing, then go ahead and insult them, or as I am now insulting you, then go ahead and insult them, as I am now insulting you, for not caring about things they ought to care about, and for thinking they are something when they are really worth nothing. And if you do this, then the things I have experienced because of what you have done to me will be just, and the same goes for my sons. But let me interrupt. You see, the hour of departure has already arrived. So now we all go our ways. I to die, and you to live. And the question is, which of us on either side is going towards something that is better? It is not clear, except to the God. So now that you've heard the speech, um, we're going to talk a little bit about what it can tell us for our present, maybe even future, or what we just found most striking, or... Yeah, just yeah. what spoke to us. Exactly. So, how did you like the speech? Oh, me? Oh, you. Oh, me. Um, I thought it was really powerful, or this part especially was really powerful. Um, I love how he is like mainly on trial for his philosophy and questioning the current order and belief set and then he just goes and questions it even further especially in his part about like death and what the god says and or gods say and what the current belief system says and he's like well it's either this or that who knows yeah i'm like yeah, I don't, I can't see how people got even more offended yeah. by his behavior in the trial and were like, no, jail's not enough for this guy. Like, he needs to die. Yeah. Like, he just says whatever he wants to. And I think that is a very brave move, but also kind of dumb because literally his life depends on what he's going to say. And he's like, well, you know what? It's gonna hurt you more than me. And I'm like, well, I don't really know if they're gonna learn from it though, so <sighs> it's a bit far fetched, but okay, you, you do you. Yeah. Well, I mean, he survived until this day, or his legacy survived, and those of those jurors or just citizens of Athens who weren't the jury did not. Yeah. So he was right on that part. But um, I think also it shows how confident he was in his cause. And it's basically all about the freedom of speech. And I think it's really 
I mean, even today, people go down for just, you know, making use of that right. And if people in power don't like what they say in certain parts of this world, they will just shut them down or poison them or throw them in jail or torture them or kill them or threaten them. Mm -hmm. Um, So that appears to be something that we still haven't gotten rid of as a world society, uh, which is really sad considering how, you know, far in the past this incident was. Um, But I really love how he describes death either as being like the end point and nothing comes after it, so why should he care? Like, he's that. Um, But I also love his other vision of death, which I think is the vision that he believes in more. Not necessarily that he's going to be judged by these gods, but that is a moment of change. And although your like earthly existence might end, it doesn't mean that it's all over. And to me, that was a really spiritual part and something I could really connect with because Although I'm not convinced that, you know, we live on, like, we as us, even our soul or spirit or whatever, I believe that what we do and what we leave behind lives on. So in his case, his thoughts live on and what he, you know, stood for lived through his students and... I mean, if like a family member dies and they spread a lot of love or a certain person in the family had a really close relationship with them, what they taught and how they loved and how they lived this relationship, that is going to live on and it's going to influence and impact how you live your life. So I think he was really right on this part and also... You already mentioned the ending where he's like, yeah, we're going to part now. I'm going to part into death and you're going to be the ones living. But who is to say what's the better luck or the better destiny here? Yeah, um, the ending really caught me. And as I already said, that was the part what, or the reason why I decided to include this part of the speech um, in here, even though his response to what trial he's supposed to be or what um, sentence he's supposed to get is more famous and um, the one that gets printed in books um, more often but I just found this part to be more interesting and to be more appealing to me Um, I don't know it kind of reminded me like his way of saying I'm not afraid of death and I did all of that because I believed in it and not because like not because anyone told me to and I'm not just going to say I didn't do it to like not get my sentence and um, it really reminded me of Hans and Sophie Schall mm-hmm. or like the white rose mm-hmm. and the Weiße Rose well it was during the NS regime and I think I don't know which of the siblings but one of them as they were executed executed they said uh, long live freedom or something like that and that really reminded me of this point where he's like, well, you know what, I'm okay, if you want me to die, I'm going to die. But I'm going to die with saying everything that I wanted to say. Yeah. 
And that is really something that I think everyone should learn. Not necessarily you have to die because you believe something that is not right. And I think it's incredible and it's so sad that we still have to talk about that. And that there's so much going on in this world right now. Um, as for example, in Nigeria or African countries with um, the, unarmed, uh, <clears throat> the armed police forces that just shoot everybody who comes them, across them. Um, I think it's so sad that we still have to talk about it, but I think it's so important that you stand up for what you believe in and that you don't, just because other people don't like what you believe in, you don't adopt it. Because if it's your value, go for it. If you want this to be something that your life is about, then go for it. Because it's your life and it doesn't matter what the others think because they're not living it, you are. I think that is something so important that especially this part like brought me like in my memory again yeah. that like this is one of the biggest values you should have yeah. although I would put some limitations on that like I firmly support the notion that if you believe in things that are different from those around you you should have the freedom to express that as long as what you believe in does not lead into like hurting others um either with like physical violence or verbal violence um but i think especially growing up in germany which is really like a multicultural society and really pluralistic and also growing up in a household where it was so normal for us to just sit around the dinner table and just have discussions and debates about things like religion, politics, sexuality, and having different opinions and also like even as children being seen as like an equal part in a person who is allowed to have their own mind and their own opinion and be respectful in treating each other. Um, that is so valuable and you can learn so much from people who have different opinions than you and it is so important that we keep talking to each other and with each other and not just at each other and about each other because I think that we see that in a lot of countries where we have like just like society splitting and then not even like trying to find a compromise or trying to listening to each other and that's one of the main, you know, sort of accusations that Socrates throws at those who are judging him that he says, you did not listen to me and you make yourself out to be a court where it's all supposed to be about listening and you pretend to be this body or this institution or even just a person who's supposed to be here and listen to me and you are not that something and when he goes on to and that was a part that really shocked me where he was like talking about his sons and how they should prosecute his sons if they um and i think in this context sons means basically you could extend this to not only his children but everybody he taught and everybody who's influenced by them but i was just like wait so what but then he goes on and he's like yeah if you catch anyone pretending to be something and they turn out to be not that thing 
then yeah, go prosecute them because that's exactly what you are. And I think what he is also trying to convey is that he is who he says he is and that this court did not do itself any good by pretending to be something and then turning out not to be that thing. Um, and I think that is something we all encounter pretty much every day that people pretend to be something that they're not. And to me, it was really liberating to find myself and just figure out what is me and what am I pretending to be because society expects me to be. And yeah, I'm weird. And yeah, I'm different and people tell me that, but that's okay because I'm okay with it and I feel good with it. And that's the way how you meet your people. And that's also the way where you can, I don't know, be the best asset for society, I think. Yeah, I th I think that like the part with this, exactly this part, when I read it, I was like, hold on a second. What did he just say? What? Um, but then I, as I read on, I was like, okay, I can so understand this. And I feel like it's so true for everything in life. It's true for public figures. It's true for just your friends and family. And I think that it's really, really hard to never pretend to be someone that you're not because you just have different roles in life. I am a student. I ha am a sister. I am a child. I am a friend. And obviously I behave differently around different people, but there's a there's a line between behaving differently around different people and to um, behave some way you don't want to behave naturally. Yeah. And if that is the case, then maybe you should think whether this is like the right friend group, the right environment for you, or if like you might need to change something. It doesn't always have to be your friends who are the wrong environment for you. Maybe you're just yourself not ready yet to express who you really are and that's fine but like it's a it's a road to get there and you have to get there in the end because if you don't I find it very hard to feel real joy if I am at a point in my life where I don't feel like myself um so especially today I got my hair cut and I was like so not feeling good the last day so I don't know why it was just Blah. everything was blah. and then I got my hair cut I looked in the mirror and I'm like yes that's me again and then I started to behave like me again and that is like such a freeing moment when you can just turn around and look in the mirror and be like okay that's me and I'm not hiding anything and don't get me wrong it's okay to hide some things and it's okay to behave differently but it's only as long it's only okay as long as you don't hurt yourself with it that is, I think, the main like thing you have to keep in mind. If you start to not hear your inner voice, then something is off, and you should have like you should stop and look and be like, okay, what's off? What can I do? Do I need help? Do I not need help? Can I fix it myself? And I think that is something that Socrates really brings along in his speech, um, even though he doesn't go very that deep into it, but it's something that really triggered me into thinking about it again and uh yeah more perfect timing for the speech couldn't have been for me but i i don't know i found it very 
heartfelt at yeah. that time. I think it's also really inspirational. Yeah, definitely. And I think beyond the personal level and what he triggered in you and where we kind of agree on, um, he also has this powerful message. He challenges authority and he challenges the just public belief system and public norms and just just the society he lives in. He challenges them by bringing in new things, new lines of thought, new theories. And that's always threatening because, um, and that's also one of the main accusations against him by the state it's like he's rallying up the youth so he is like instilling new thoughts in them and the authority doesn't know how to deal with it because it it's i mean there is potential for like civil unrest by challenging like long-held beliefs and just systems that have been in place and where supposedly everything just works out fine and i mean that's basically what we see in pretty much any society that there's you know new streams of thought new convictions and um, coming along and every single time the authorities try to violently put it down it just leads to more violence and i think that's really sad because so often if there were people who have power were willing to just listen instead of like halfway listen and then just, you know, punch them in the face. First of all, a lot of lives could be saved. And second of all, I always feel like the authorities, the public authorities, our governments or powerful figures, they are like just so present and they could just, they just set an example. And I don't know, I just think him saying you didn't listen and you don't know like what I'm talking about and it scares you and therefore you put me to death so you don't have to face something you fear is really a powerful message and can teach us all or I took away from it like one of my convictions which I already have is that if I fear something I really have to face it and I have to just really dig deep and try to understand it because that will take away just all the fear from either it's a person or an experience or something in the future I don't know but when I try to just avoid it or put it down it's not it's not helping and it doesn't solve the issue and it doesn't make me not have that fear again and this is only like I can only integrate the fear into my life if I accept it and look at it although it's really uncomfortable yeah yeah this whole part um where he says that it's his duty to like question people who pretend to be wise um I thought or I for myself, I was like, yeah, I think it is my duty to question old systems, to question old people or wise people or people in power, because if I don't do it, then no one will. And I think that it is very interesting to see that at that time, it was mostly older men who started to question the old systems, yeah. while right now it is mostly the youth, because youth, not youth, the youth, because 
the old people don't like why would they want to change it they grew up in the system and they like they are comfortable in the system but maybe it just doesn't work anymore or maybe some things about it need to be renewed and they just don't see it because it's uncomfortable for them to see it because they have fear of it like you just said and I think that or I really see it as my one of my um duties to just question old beliefs and things I grew up in and that is it can be very uncomfortable even for us to question things that we grew up in because I know these things already like why would I go a different way but it is always important to look whether there's another way that would hurt less people that would bring more for society that would make you gain more things when you take it on a personal level so I think it's always important to question yourself as well, but also everyone around you. I totally agree with you. And I think that is something really powerful just to see how a speech that was given 2,419 years Yeah, ago. something like that. And I think it is amazing that something like a historical document like that can survive and still inspire people today. And I think it also teaches us that no matter when in time or where in this world, there's some basic things that just connect us all as plainly being human beings because that's what we all are. Yeah. And that is to me really powerful and I just... On some level, it really fulfills me when I just happen upon things where there's firm belief of mine that we're all human beings and that's the basis and that's where we're all equal. And because of that, because we share this thing that we're human beings, um, that I really, that I just hope and that I firmly believe in that we can make this world a better place especially by, like Socrates says, listening to each other mm. instead of just, you know, undermining each other because we fear that the other person might upset our worldview. But you always just have to remind yourself that the person sitting across from you and next to you on both sides, they are all human and you are human and I heard a very, like, quote that kind of says the same thing, but in, I think, prettier words is, we all bleed red. And this is something that I think is so important to remember. No matter what you are, where you are at this moment, just remember that we all bleed red and we're all the same. And just doesn't, everything, everything else, like, just doesn't matter for a moment because... We all be dread and we're all human and that's the most important thing. Alright. I guess if you've listened to the previous episodes you can kind of catch on some some central hypotheses or yeah. theses and some central topics and issues that are close to my heart and close to Katie's heart. Um yeah, yeah. as always. Let us know what you think, either via Instagram, you can find us there. History Sisters Pot. <laughs> or write us an email. We would love to hear from you. The History Sisters Pot at gmail.com. 
And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And give us a five-star rating on the iTunes, uh, on the Apple podcast, because it helps a lot for people who don't know us already to find us. Um, you don't even have to listen to it there. You don't have to have, like, buy anything there. Just, like, write us and a review. That would be very nice. Yeah, we would <laughs> greatly appreciate it. And until the next episode, please keep reading, keep learning, be safe, and be kind to one another. Exactly. Because we're all human and we all bleed red. See you next time. Bye! Bye!